Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Well, 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 it has been a year since last October, which means it has been a year where we've been looking forward to finally introducing the second annual heresy month. <laughs> I don't know what we're... No, that, that works. Nothing but heresy, it. year two, <laughs> round two. Uh, round two. So for those of you who have been around for a year or more, thank you and welcome back to probably the most exciting part of the doxology calendar. Maybe not the most exciting part of the church calendar, but certainly the most <laughs> exciting part of the doxology calendar for, for me, sure. Uh, where we get to dive into um, topics related to specific heresies from from history that the church has has condemned, that the Bible has uh, revealed God's will does not <laughs> uh, favor these views, as well as looking at heretics of history for the Friday episodes instead of Christians of history. If you're new, this is exciting. And you should be excited if you're not. You should also be very spooked out and afraid. And I uh, hope you can stick around. So that's sort of the, the basic spiel. So welcome back to, to Heresy Month. Welcome back to Recording Gens. How you doing? Dude, doing all right. I thought it would be somewhat fitting given the, uh, the theme of the month, being a little spooky, being a little, uh, you know, nothing spookier than bad theology and all. Um, what is your all-time favorite Halloween movie or Halloween themed or it came out during Halloween season however you want to answer that what is your what is your favorite movie from this uh, lovely spooky season that's a great question um honestly so Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie for me <laughs> so that's so I'm think not gonna had say this that. debate before I feel like I, but, I have this. yeah <laughs> um so I'm not just ignoring Nightmare Before Christmas, but I do I, watch I, it. I watch that seasons. in December. Yeah, well, I watch yeah. it during. Both. I, see, so I don't. Both. I don't. I don't know. I love. I love. I mean, it's great, but I only watch it during during December. I don't. Okay. I don't know why. I mean, honestly, it's more Halloween than Christmas. Like I every every year when I watch it, that's what I think. I'm like, there's always this debate, but like it's pretty obviously like Halloweeny. <laughs> um, but uh, it, uh, my favorite movie, honestly, might be Hocus Pocus. Okay. Um, which is kind of corny, but it's so good. I just, yeah. I, I just remember every year, uh, right around now when it would come on Disney Channel, like it would be, it would be so exciting, you know. To, Classic. And I, I feel part of it's probably that nostalgia, but I would probably say Hocus Pocus is my is my favorite, like specifically like Halloween okay. themed movie. Yeah, I, I I would say like Nightmare Before Christmas. That would be like my answer. But if we're saying it's a Christmas movie, it's a different conversation. I also really enjoy Monster House. I don't know if you remember that animated movie. I also don't know that that's specifically yeah. Halloween, but like I feel like I watched it a lot during like October, November. So it always feels kind of, you know, spooky and all. Um, but anyway, I just thought that'd be, I, I was just curious. Speaking of, but speaking of spooky stuff and maybe a little more topical, have you watched midnight mass at all on netflix no i saw some twitter talk about mm -hmm. it but i have not myself uh, looked at it yeah i just watched the first episode last night and i would i would really recommend it 
Okay. It's, I'll have to check it I out. haven't seen the whole the whole season yet, but it, it it starts off. It's pretty good. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, and it seems like like it's very like theological. Hmm. Not to get into it. Maybe we'll do an episode like that'd be yeah. Well, we'll, we'll watch it and then yeah, we'll have a yeah a whole conversation about it. But anyway, well, yeah. Anyway, we're 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 finally into October. I can't believe that it's year two. I mean, we we've we've been doing this podcast for well over a year at this point. But this is the first time where we're like doing something like annually, the second annual yeah. month, you know, we're not going to do J- Jonah January again. Like that just wouldn't make sense to go through the book of Jonah a second time, but to do heresy month yet again, to, to cover new heresies and new heretics is like a super fun thing to do. I mean, if you, if you go back and look at our, our, our download history and everything to see like what episodes have the most attention, there's a good number of episodes from heresy month, 2020 um like i know our narcissism episode recently creeped into the top 10 for a while the latter-day saints episode was also floating near the top 10 uh so like people are interested in it um i don't know last last october was like the kickoff for you and me to like really start uh growing our audience i mean we had carl bart at the very beginning of the month which is our most downloaded episode ever um, and then we had a whole month full of heresy and then it just sort of like blew up from there um so it's other really people's cool. heresy not yeah uh, right right correct month full of our heresy right exactly right, right. <laughs> um so yeah Hopefully. it's just it's cool to to be back here and 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 specifically on this episode to talk about pelagianism um i feel like this is one that was maybe i don't know why we didn't do it last year if we just had other ideas or if we figured well we'll get to it next year maybe but um, I'm glad to finally to jump into this heresy on Friday. Uh, no surprises. We're going to be talking about Pelagius specifically. Um, so if this episode doesn't go nearly as in-depth into him specifically as you would have liked to hear, come back Friday because we will go in-depth into his life and uh, sort of how he became almost like the arch heretic or something. I don't know, the heretic to end all heretics. But um, yeah, without any further ado, a little bit of a longer winded intro. Um, why don't we just jump right in? Um, I thought I would just give like a very basic definition of Pelagianism, just in case people aren't familiar with the term. Um, I guess most basically, uh, it's the thought that Adam's sin did not affect future generations of humanity. Um, according to Pelagianism, Adam's sin was solely his own and Adam's descendants did not inherit a sinful nature passed down to them. Um, so God, basically this, this is, this is like a summary. Um, God creates every human soul directly and therefore every human soul starts out in innocence or free from sin. So we are not basically bad says the Pelagian heresy. We are basically good. Um, there's a lot more that can be said and we will say that in this episode, but those are sort of like the big touching points, the big, uh, issues with Pelagianism. Is there anything that you wanted to say here at the outset? No, I mean, I think, I think it's, you kind of touched on a couple things like implicitly that, that I wanted to bring up. Like it's, it's, it's interesting, even just the way that you framed Pelagius as the arch heretic and, um, and the Pelagianism as, as the heresy to end all heresies. And I think that that's only true for a certain kind of Christian. I think that um, Pelag- Pelagianism and, and, and um, you know, also those things that have been accused of Pelagianism um, is a, I think it's a unique concern to 
first of all, the Western church. And even more specifically, I think those churches that trace their heritage back to the Reformation. I think that um, it, it, would, it would maybe be less, it, it would maybe seem like a less important controversy if we were in an Eastern Christian context. And I'm not saying that that's because they believe what Pelagius taught or is purported to have taught. I'm just saying um, this is a this is very much a Western conversation. And I mean, so for one, Pelagius, we'll get into this, but Pelagius is from the West. You know, he's he's a he's a monk in the Western Church. He's not he, he he's not uh, you know living and working and writing in an Eastern context. And for another thing, his his sort of you know nemesis is Saint Augustine. Who is who is the sort of the Western father? At least uh, you know. In retrospect, we might kind of summarize you know his importance that way. Um, and again, especially especially Reformation-minded Christians, I think, constantly have this tension between between faith and works that just very naturally comes up in a unique way to people who are going to champion and emphasize salvation by faith and salvation by grace over and against salvation by works. And I'm not accusing any other kind of Christian of believing in salvation by works, but I'm saying that the Reformation highlighted that and emphasized that in a way that I think makes Pelagianism a much more spooky kind of um, uh, enemy or, or you know concern or danger. And all of that's just kind of like, not even really background. It's just sort of some thoughts I had as, as I was thinking about, you know, like what does Pelagianism mean to, 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 to us? But also another reason I think that it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to think about it's like relative importance is it was never actually condemned at an ecumenical council. Arianism was, Nestorianism was, um, it was condemned at a synod, a synod in um, the in Carthage in 418, which was a local council. It was not ecumenical, um, and there there was uh, this council called because this was a controversy in the West. This was you know the Roman Church and the African Church were trying to figure out what to do about this because this was a big deal. Um, so real quick it, though, even though yeah. this maybe wasn't condemned as a heresy, both Pelagius and his associate, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Celestius or something, um, they were declared heretics by the first council of Ephesus in 431. So even if the, their teachings were not declared heresy, it's interesting that they were both declared as heretics at a council. No, that's, thank you for saying that. That's a, that's a good correction to, to what I was saying. Um, I'm, it's funny, I'm actually in the, I'm in the middle of reading a book about that, and uh, there's, some, there's some political intrigue between uh, Cyril trying to get support from the Pope and, and, like, and you know, the Pope not liking how Nestorius is. is uh... Anyway, we won't get into it, but the point <laughs> is, um, is that, that, that is a really good, really good correction. So, so there is this, this there's, a whole count, there's a whole local council about Pelagianism, right, right at Carthage in 418, but... That's not to say that the Eastern Church or the rest of the church didn't have anything to say about Pelagianism against Pelagius, right? Um, so that, that's super helpful. Um, and yeah, I mean, I feel like, 
like at, at the at the most um base level um your summary i think is a really good way to just understand the summary it's is there's this there's this compared to the way that i would argue scripture and certainly most of the church throughout space and time has has spoken about it there's this disconnect between us and the sin that has come before us right um there we're not directly affected by adam's sin we imitate adam's sin and we all imitate adam's sin so therefore we all sin so therefore we're all condemned but what actually condemns us is our sin not any sort of state of sin or any sort of inheritance or what we might call original sin which we might need to get into and you know nuance and define what we mean by that but what i what i think is pretty clear at at, at a more you know big picture level is that sin does impact us beyond our own just imitation of adam like the sin of adam actually has a real effect on me you know in the womb not not even just me now but also me from the very beginning of my existence um and that's really the key difference is is how we relate to the sin of adam is what does that mean for my sin right it's it's not something i can't be held responsible for something adam did therefore adam's sin doesn't condemn me my sin condemns me um which is sort of the 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 root you know the theological foundation for what i think people might who who have heard of Pelagianism might sort of think of it as which is basically we can save ourselves right like we can stop sinning on our own without god's grace if we just try hard enough and are holy enough or whatever right but but you can't really have that without the foundation of this this theological understanding of sin that that makes that makes it possible for you to then make that next step to therefore I can follow all of God's commands if I just try hard enough. I don't need God's grace because sin is just about my own actions, right? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like that that's kind of like the 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 big picture of what Pelagius is doing. Um, or again, you know, we, we I feel like for a shorthand, we'll say Pelagius said this. We don't have any of his writings. We only have those of, of who the people who wrote against him. So. A lot of this is sort of we're we're kind of summarizing a summary, you know. Um, so, I, want, I do want to be careful with that, just historically. But but certainly that seems to be what Pelagius was getting at. Is it this idea, right? I don't know if you have anything else. If, if there's anything else I missed or any thoughts you have on that. No, yeah, or, or it, like de definitions side. Right. No, I think we're good at on defining what this is. Um, this is a very complex conversation because, as you just noted, uh, we don't have. I don't think any of his actual writings, like anything that we would have on Pelagianism um, comes from his opponents, from his contemporaries, from people writing about him later. Um, none of his actual works survived. And I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on Pelagius himself, because we'll talk about him Friday. Um, but just to kind of understand you know, who he was, like where he's from. Um, I mean, like he was a very well-learned man, like Latin, Greek, um, very educated, um, theologically very astute. Um, and so it's interesting that later in life, um, and I should say er early in his career, Augustine even praised him as being uh, of notable character and as a, a, a good theologian. Obviously, later they had some beef, they had some butting of heads to say the very least. 
Um, but it's, it's just interesting. What I find so fascinating is like when we consider like when you think about names like Cyril and Pelagi, uh, Pelagius and Augustine, they seem so distant. Like you forget that like they were alive during the same time and like interacting. Um, I mean, like even today in our in our world, we have some really big name theologians and pastors who also know each other and interact. So it, it just, but it just seems different when you look back into history. Um, but this is like, you got to remember, we're talking the late 300s, early 400s. Um, AD when all this is going down. Um, so just remember the world that that they were living in. They didn't. They it was a, a very different world from our modern world. And so to have these debates, um, it, it's just I don't know, fascinating to me. Last last thing I think I'll note here is that um, Pelagius himself also greatly preferred to write like correspondence, like to to disagree over you know letters and and such over and against like being confronted in a you know some sort of room or a council or some, some sort of gathering um so again the fact that we don't have many of his writings it leads to difficulty in actually truly understanding his position uh, because a lot of what he would have been trying to communicate was coming by his own hand but uh, I, I want to believe that like his critics and his opponents would represent him fairly um, but as I was sort of like reading about this, I only like could wonder, like, what if Augustine just really, for whatever reason, didn't like Pelagius and, you know, just wanted to, you know, skew him in a bad light? I mean, that, that I, I wouldn't want to believe that that's what happened, but like that sort of thing happens. Human, human pride can sometimes take over. Um, I don't know if you ever picked up on any of that as we were talking, as you were doing like research or whatever, um, but in the back of my mind, I had this like little voice that was like, man, like, I really hope that he is being represented fairly because it's, it's, it's a challenge when we don't have his actual writings to, you know, validate what, what his critics are saying. I mean, this is just a big question of, of doing history because Pelagius is, is condemned as a heretic. No one's going to keep his books, Right. And, and, and they shouldn't, you know, if, if the church has condemned this, this book as teaching heresy, you, you shouldn't keep it, right? Which means us, 1600, 1700 years later, we, from a historical standpoint, we kind of lose out on getting as much information as we can. Um, but that, that's just, that's the way history is, right? Um, so on the one hand, there is that the fact that we don't really have any reason to doubt the summaries that we get in whether it's through quotations or the arguments being made against um, the ideas that are in you know writings like Augustine's and stuff like that. But on the other hand, taking a step beyond even just Pelagius himself, um, Pelagianism, what we call Pelagianism, doesn't actually need to be what Pelagius taught to still be worthy of the reception that it got in the church. That's fair. Um, I mean, just like Calvinism is a very similar t sort of thing, maybe a different type because it is viewed more positively by, by many, but. And, and whether or not we decide through his, through fair and rigorous historical research that Pelagius is worthy of having his name attached to this view <laughs> and having the, uh, the reputation that he does have today. <laughs> um, 
I, like that doesn't really matter from yeah. this perspective of it matters in, in for, for a different question. You know, but, it matters yeah. in terms of like him and what we think of him, but it doesn't matter in terms of um, evaluating this theological position that was taken up by others and That's has been taken up and has and has had influence in the church. And um, sometimes maybe that influence has been overstated and sometimes people just like, you know, it's kind of like a bit of a boogeyman. And I think that that, that does happen at times with with anything. Um, but the reason that it has survived, that we even have any like knowledge and reason to talk about it today is because it is a real threat to the gospel. And um, I think that we've done a good job of summarizing the basics. Um, Augustine has, has these three things that he notes as sort of like the main components of Pelagius's heresy. It's a denial of original sin. The... Well, number one is a denial of original sin. Number two is that God's grace is granted to us for our merits. So, so God gives us grace based on what we do. Um, and then the third is that forgiveness for sin is not needed after baptism. Um, and that's what, that's what Augustine, who's like the main, you know, sort of theological intellectual opponent of Pelagianism at the time, um, that's what he summarizes as the three main issues with this system of thought. Um, and even if Pelagius would have agreed with Augustine and we just have a bad historical understanding of him, those three problems are three problems <laughs> that we should be uh, condemning and avoiding and, and, and seeking to, to not, you know, bring into our own thinking. And the reason for that is that that's just, it doesn't match up with what is revealed in scripture it doesn't match up with um, how God's people have experienced life in Christ for the last 2000 years. Right. And so maybe we can, we can do a little bit of, of um, comparing some of what Pelagius thought to what scripture teaches. Right. Um, Cause we say it doesn't match up with scripture. Um, and obviously we can't be exhaustive, but we should at least kind of touch on what, why are we saying that? Right. Like, what is it that in scripture that, Pelagius is butting up against. Yeah. So, I mean, a good place to turn would be Romans five, for example, um, Romans as a whole letter, uh, especially, I mean, you, so you, you mentioned that especially as children of the reformation we're we're prone to talk about Pelagianism in, in, in an especially negative light. Um, a lot of reformers also had a lot of negative things to say about Pelagius Um and so it's no surprise that uh, something like Romans would come up. But but Romans 5 here, um, I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses because it seems like Pelagianism would contradict much of what Romans 5 is teaching um, because Romans 5 solid, solidly refutes the notion that Adam's sin has no effect upon us because, uh, quote, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Uh, verse 12. Many died by the trespass of one man. Verse 15. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Verse 16. By the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man. Verse 17. One trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Verse 18. Through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Verse 19. I mean, you could just read Romans 5, 12 through 19 and really come to the conclusion that, yeah, wow, yeah. So the sin that Adam committed affects man. 
plain and simple case closed. Why are we even talking about it? Um, I mean, great question. And I, I, I don't have all the answers on that. I'm curious what you wanted to add. I know you said you had some things here on the, the Romans five bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that it, it really, you know, obviously we need to be careful to just say, oh, well, the Bible's so obvious what it says here. So I'm obviously right. <laughs> um, but it, it does seem like, so the way that, that that passage needs to be interpreted in a Pelagian way is that that penalty that, that, that of death that's coming to all people is coming through the, like, I forget, I think it's, it's either verse 12 or 13, like all have sinned, like, like because of Adam, all men have sinned. And so it's through that imitation, through that personal sin that, that we all, we all incur that, that penalty, but it just, that doesn't seem like on a very surface level to be just like grammatically the sense of that passage. Like, I think it really is the perfect passage to go to um, in terms of not working out all the details of what original sin means, because I think that there's, and I've heard there's, there's, you know, there's very compelling reasons to look at Romans five and evaluate what we think it means with regards to original sin and what we think original sin means itself. However, um, like you said, I think towards the beginning, I don't think there's really a way to read Romans five and come away saying that Adam's sin is just a bad example for me. I, I just don't see that in the text. And I think that because this is, this is one of the key sort of foundational elements of this view, it, it's, it's a really big deal <laughs> if it doesn't match up with what the clear teaching of scripture seems to be. And I just can't see um, how that would, how, how you can interpret this passage in a way that indicates anything other than the actual penalty of death is, is literally, is really, is truly tied to the trespass of the one man, Adam, right? Mm. Um, and, and I think that, that, that that's just, that's a really good place to start. And then the other place I'd want to go is um, with regards more to the idea of, uh, of our, our merit sort of earning God's grace. Um, you know, Pelagius very famously had this idea that like the fact that God gives us all of these commands indicates that we're capable of fulfilling all these commands, because if, if we couldn't, then they wouldn't be commands, right? Like God wouldn't command us to do X, Y, Z if it wasn't possible for us to either fulfill or um, break those commands. And that's sort of this, this logical way of thinking that leads him to, to like, so if you're breaking God's commands, then you're just not doing a good job, right? And, and God's grace isn't what enables you to fulfill the commandments, but your merit is what your merit in fulfilling the commandments is what enables God to give you grace. And that seems very contrary to um, Ephesians two, where we're told, where we are told multiple times in the same sentence that it's, it's by grace you have been saved. I was just working through this passage for my Greek class and that phrase just really leaped out at me. It, it's so powerful. Like it, and, and there's, 
you know, it's just sort of it, the way it's written, like, like it really stands out, you know, like in, in the flow of his sentence, he like interrupts himself to be like, by grace, you have been saved. And, and the second time by grace, you have been saved and not through works so that no one may boast. Right. So the point of that being not that I, like, I think Pelagius is right. We ought to be striving to fulfill all of God's commands. Pelagius is just wrong in assuming that that's possible to perfectly do across a whole lifetime under our own power. <laughs> and I think that that's just also something that is obviously true to anybody who's tr tried to live <laughs> a moral life <laughs> according to God's commandments is you're going to fall short and you're going to screw up and you're going to sin, you know? Um, even though your heart's in the right place, your desire's in the right place and you are trying like, not that we do that all the time, <laughs> but even when we are doing that, we can still screw up. Right. And we, and, and not just can, but we do still screw up. So I think that it's, it's, uh, it, it is interesting to me to try to wrap my brain around how you can come away from reading the new Testament. I mean, not just the new Testament, but how you can come away with, from reading the Bible and come to a Pelagian view. Well, especially in, and this is something that we'll maybe touch on briefly on Friday, but Pelagius was something of like a Pauline scholar. I mean, very well learned in Paul's writings. Um, so, I, you know, maybe I could see if for some reason we had reason to believe that Pelagius was like a scholar of James or something and just was really caught on that faith without works is dead or something like I, I don't know. But yeah, if you're somebody who's reading Paul, if you're reading letters like Romans and Galatians and, you know, all, these master works on, on grace and salvation, like it is it is sort of peculiar that you could find, you know, it's just what seems like such blatant contradictions. Yeah. And, it and happens perhaps we're it happens. Yeah. And perhaps we're oversimplifying it and just Maybe. saying like, you know, here's the most obvious verse and here's like the most, you know, extreme version of what you're saying, you know, and we're using, you know, perhaps that's true. I don't really think that that even if, even if we are doing that, which is not intentional, it's still the case that it's pretty clear that from the perspective of the Bible, <laughs> grace comes before our merit <laughs> not the other way around like um and adam's sin had a you know it doesn't take very long to get to the part where adam sins and that directly impacts the rest of humanity <laughs> like so so i do think that um without you know being overly reductive in terms of pelagius's exegetical skill um Pelagianism, as we call it, um, really just doesn't stand up. It doesn't, it doesn't stand up at all. You know, there, there's, there's, I feel like, like last year we had to do a lot more work to find the error <laughs> than we do with something like Pelagianism that just puts the cart before the horse. You know, we should be living holy lives. We should be growing in virtue and, and living morally and following God's commands and, and, and obeying the law of God. But none of that saves us and none of that is possible outside of being saved because it's not us on our own in our state of you know nature so to speak that fulfills those commands it's christ fulfills those commands and we're grafted into him right um so i feel like i feel like just that that really is what's going on is this this almost reversal like 
he's he's just he's driving a car without an engine you know like <laughs> not even it, possible. it just it just doesn't add up like like at all yeah <laughs> i don't know like yeah yeah and i don't know i mean I, at this point i don't even know what what more could be said I, it, you know these these episodes are, are meant to be introductory to sort of introduce you to these heresies as they existed uh, perhaps even sometimes as they continue to exist um i mean this idea of like hum- human goodness uh, the ability to achieve um you know, some measure of, of worthiness or holiness on one's own isn't foreign even in our own context. And so in some sense, Pelagianism or maybe semi-Pelagianism, or if we just want to call it pseudo-Pelagianism, exists in the American psyche even. I mean, this is this is almost inherent to what it means to be American. You know, we're, we're good people who strive to do good, you know, be a friendly neighbor who, you know, it's just like this, we're, this morally upright, life um at least in a public facing way um and i I don't know maybe there aren't people that think that those things merit or earn their salvation but maybe others do um but i think that like we're saying the fact remains that this this idea um whether pelagius himself taught it or not um specifically pelagianism as it's come down through the the centuries um still is very much alive and well today that's i guess at the end of the day what we're trying to say yeah and so i think to wrap up we'll we'll say a brief prayer that that will hopefully set our minds and hearts on the grace of god in the in its proper and uh primary role that it has so oh god you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity grant us the fullness of your grace that we running to obtain your promises may become partakers of your heavenly treasure through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for checking out this first spooky episode of Heresy Month. We hope that you enjoyed. Um, We hope that you are not falling victim to the heresies in which, uh, uh, of which we'll be speaking of this month. So uh, be on the lookout. Uh, Bad theology lurks right around the corner. Uh, but thank you for listening to this episode. Thanks for listening to any episode. Uh, if you've never listened to last year's Heresy Month, go check it out. See what we talked about. Uh, but if you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. You can send us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We always welcome feedback, questions, episode ideas. Uh, wanted to give a quick shout out to Richie, uh, who sort of revamped uh, Spookified is maybe the best way to describe it. He, he spookified our intro and outro. So shout out Richie. Thank you for, uh, for that. If you want to check out his music, you can check out Richie Rust on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you get your music. Um, but at the end of the day, we hope that you're doing well and we'll see you on Friday. Peace.